everyone. Thanks for tuning back into Wasting Time with Wine. This is Haley and I am currently in a different element. I'm sitting on my bed and it's two o'clock in the afternoon. I had to record now because my wife is at the um, the doctor, I guess, technically. So she is gone. So I was like, well, I'm going to record while you're gone and hopefully I can get it done before you get back. So that's what I'm doing right now. Hopefully the sound quality is a little better too because I normally record on my dining room. That doesn't have any carpet on the walls to eliminate like the sound echo. So hopefully sitting on my bed will be better and hopefully my dogs don't go crazy because they like to bark at everything out of the window. So yeah, I'm just in a little bit of a different element. Uh, two, three, few things to talk about. One, I have heard from a few people that in episode two, it sounds, uh, the, it seems sped up and I'm not really sure why. I don't know how I would have sped up the episode, but if it seems like I'm talking fast, I probably messed it up somehow in an area. Don't really know how, but I am sorry about that. The thing that I am drinking now is a cherry tart tea from a place called Winter Bloom in Fayetteville, North Carolina. My friend Michelle had bought it for me when I was like wanting to kind of take some time away from drinking wine and I, she just thoughtfully went and grabbed me some tea that had a tart wine flavor and it is so good. I don't know how the business is doing now but I just kind of wanted to talk about it and if you're in the area you should absolutely go the owner is super cool and they also sell alcohol there too which is really cool and he um is wanting to infuse tea and alcohol together to create this really cool experience I sat and I talked with him one time actually about starting the podcast and he was a really cool person to talk to and kind of bounce ideas off of so Definitely go check out that place if they are still open right now. I know that they might not be a needed business, but once things kind of get back to normal, you should absolutely go check them out. I had many uh, study dates with my friends there. Shout out to Maddie, Bethany, and Michaela because we would always go there and I had the best. And Michaela would always get the alcohol beverage and she just looked so bougie doing it but yeah I just wanted to kind of tell everyone about that company because it needs to stay open so go there if you can I like left and came back I forgot my wine book and I turned off the dryer because I felt like it was giving a lot of background noise so I stopped that and I hope my dogs don't bark because they just seem like they're up to no good. I know that's the second time I brought it up, but I just have this feeling they're gonna be barking in the background. So I am going to open my book up. There was a page that I really liked in regards to wine tasting. Ooh, okay. So wine etiquette tips. I'm just gonna read a few of them that I thought was a little bit interesting that I didn't know and I can't do and you will see why right now. So the first one I'm going to talk about is hold your glass by the stem or base. 
This shows off the cleanliness of your glass with no fingerprints and your ability to be careful around fragile things. Guys, I just ran into my coffee table and I have a gnarly bruise. I have metal wine glasses for a reason because I all of the ones with stems broke because I did have some. My mother gave me them and I broke them because I am not careful. So I'm going to have to work on that. I don't know about you guys, but if you have to work on it too, let me know and we'll just work on it together and we'll get, we'll practice with like plastic wine glasses. And I first time I ever saw a plastic wine glass was with my friend Liz that introduced Amber and I in the last episode. Um, she had plastic wine glasses and I was like, that is the smartest thing I've ever seen. So, and it still looks pretty classy. And okay, drink from the same position of the glass. Not only does this reduce lip marks on the glass, it also keeps you from smelling the inside of your mouth each time you take a sip. Oh, that's cool. All right, when clinking, look your clinking partner in the eye as a sign of respect. Also clink glass bowls to bowl to reduce breakage. So don't do the tip, do the bowl. I have to read this one. I was not going to read this one. I was just going to do three, but the fact that it's like a funny picture of a woman with a bra on and she's saying, hey, holding a wine glass, I will post a picture of that to the Instagram because that's hilarious. Um, Try your best not to be the drunkest one in the room. (laughs) This is particularly useful when business Oh, in business situations when you might need to think on your feet. Oh, I mean, I will always strive to be the drunkest in the room and still be able to hold myself together. But I think those wine etiquette tips are so cool because I so badly want to just be in like Italy or even like Northern California to go to like wineries and just feel classy and learn all that I can about wine because I do want to make my own wine someday and I want to be really knowledgeable in this area so that's why I have this book and that's why I'm going to keep telling you wine shit because why not wine not (laughs) okay I'm sorry so I am going to go into now the subject that I'm talking about so I'm so sorry for that long intro but I am going to be talking about children in a poverty environment. I guess like low income families. I I talk a lot about low income and what falls under that is like poor, near poor and the higher, lower income, if that makes sense. Um, I chose to do this because this crazy virus is taking over the world right now. And one of the things I was, I thought about, and I was probably from someone uh, sharing something on Facebook about how lower income families usually rely on school lunches to feed their child at least one meal a day. But I was really interested in knowing about children who are suffering from a lower income environment, I guess. I get all of my information from the NCCP, which is the National Center for Children of Poverty. They are a huge organization that all of they have publications they have statistics they have resources in children of poverty and then i start with joinpdx.org which i'm about to go into also i wanted to 
tell you that I made Amber and I the Whip It coffee today and it was really, it was actually really good. Takes like 30 minutes to make because you have to like literally stand there and mix it, which even with the mixer, it took a long time for me and it was the first time, so that's probably why. But very good and I have a lot of caffeine in my system. So I'm so sorry if now it seems like I'm talking fast. So Join PDX has four different definitions of homelessness. I wanted to touch base on homelessness because it could be a trait in lower income uh, families with children in them and they're just really great facts. So before I get into what those facts are though, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Join PDX or Join, I think that's how they call themselves or what they call themselves is Join. They are a Portland-based organization starting in 1992 and in hopes to bridge the gap between house communities and homeless communities. They've been helping families for about 20 years now or over 20 years. Uh, Yeah, over 20 years. Their mission is join exists to support the efforts of individuals and families experiencing homelessness to transition into permanent housing. Our efforts are directed at individuals sleeping outside or in their cars in the Portland metro area. Our service provision is not dependent on age, gender, race, ethnicity, faith, culture, language, sexual identity, specific diagnosis, or identifiable issues. So just a really cool organization based out of Portland, Oregon, and that's really cool. So if you're in that area, there you go. You know what's in your area, and I hope and I'm sure that there are organizations like this in every bigger city or city alike. The first homeless I will touch based on is chronically homeless. Join uses the federal definition for this, so I'm kind of reading it and then going into my own words, essentially. An unaccompanied homeless individual with a disabling condition who has been continuously homeless for a year or more or has had a minimum of four episode episodes of homelessness in the last, sorry, in the previous three years. So from what they say in their definition, this is the biggest population of the homeless in the United States. And these are people who live where people shouldn't live. So parks um, underneath overpasses, that bus stop, like different places like that. The second one is the episodic homeless. These are people who are typically suffering from substance abuse. They haven't had a home three times in the last year and they are typically younger. I think about intervention when I think about this. There was an episode or like a series where it went through different groups of people who were suffering from substance abuse and they were homeless. There was a couple and they had a child and their child obviously was not with them, but they were only living out of the car to get their next fix in. So the next one is transitional homeless. And kind of like the word says, it's a transitioning time. This could be in the middle of a move, so they need to stay in a shelter or temporary housing. And this is usually resulting in a catastrophic event. The last one that I'm going to talk about is provisional homeless. And Join talks about how this one is often missed because these are people who kind of couch surf. They stay with friends and family. They don't have a specific home, but they don't access like homeless shelters or other services. And that is why they are missed in the statistics. So that could be higher, that could be lower because they don't come in. So now we're going to get into children who are living in a lower income 
area and homelessness and what that looks like and reasons why that can be. This publication was done in 2009 by Yumiko Aritani called Homeless Children and Youth Causes and Consequences. According to Yumiko, there are two ways to look at homeless children, children who experience family homelessness and those identified as unaccompanied youth. Random fact, the McKinney-Vento Act defines homeless children and youth as those who do not have a stable, consistent place to stay at night. This act was enacted in 1987 to give funding to homeless shelters. There are a lot of different acts in place to help homeless shelters, but I'm just focusing on the issues and reasons and statistics. Going back to the publication, it gives a lot of statistics on family, but we're actually going to go over that at the end. That way it kind of sums up the whole idea of this episode. So a few reasons that I'm going to touch base on why children can be in a lower income family or homeless is the first one being lack of affordable housing. I think probably talking to a lot of adults in this situation. So knowing now how much apartments cost and houses cost, this could be completely understandable because a lack of of an affordable house might be a little high cost wise the housing might not be suitable to live in or it could be a crowded home with too many family members in it economic stability so i'm going to read a direct quote from this and i want you to keep in mind that this is in 2009 and the recession happened in 2007 so Since the start of the recession in December 2007, the number of unemployed individuals has increased by more than 7 million to 14.5 million. The unemployment rate has risen to 9.4% overall. When I think about this, this is again, two year time span, the unemployment rate doubled. So think about all of those children that were in those families that their parent or their guardian could not work because of the unemployment rate being so high. I will let you know that now, well, as of like 2020, the unemployment rate was roughly 4.0%. It was a little confusing looking at it, but now with what is happening in the world, that could increase because there are a lot of businesses closing down. So we might see a spike in the unemployment rate and keep in mind that there are children involved. So the homelessness or the lower income families with children will probably go up as well. So violence at home. Violence at a home occurs in over 80% of single mothers with children. And the majority of youth in runaway and homeless youth programs report that their biological mother was the main perpetrator of the maltreatment, which is so crazy to me because it's sad that the mother is that reason. But when you, I guess when you look at the other side of it, the stress that the mother might be facing could be causing a lot of mistreatment in the relationship or in the home, I guess. So behavioral health, this occurs mostly in the unaccompanied youth as well. They see a lot of violence and that might cause more of a increase of behavioral issues. Another one is a lack of positive support. So this area, if you look at a family or like a single mother with um, a children or two children, if they don't have 
support from people around them, they're more likely to suffer. That does not go by saying that if there's a ton of people around them, it doesn't mean that they are supporting him, supporting them in the way that they need to be supported. So if they don't have strong relationships and people, they will suffer more. So the last involvement is uh, the welfare system. So many kids in the foster system run away, especially, especially youth. As of 2009, during this article, 49% of youth in the foster care system reported running away at one point in time, which is so insane to me that that high of a percentage runs away. We talked about the reason, so let's talk about the impact that this can have on the children. And I'm saying children with youth and like basically 18 and under. The first one, which is very shocking to me, was food insecurity. So the publication said there isn't a lot of information on why that is, and it, it's been studied among adults, but there is speculation to why it is, but no definitive answer. It could be that they're, they aren't used to eating regular meals, so they don't know what food security looks like, and there's a few other reasons that could be. Nowadays, there are plenty of resources to make sure resources to make sure that the children have at least, at least, which is so crazy, one meal a day. But again, it's so insane that there isn't a lot of information why food makes them nervous. So my question is for you is why do you think that is? Like, shoot me an email, write on my Instagram. I want to know what you think about food insecurities among lower income families. So health, this to me, I guess, is pretty self-explanatory. There's um, a lot that can come with a child being homeless. There are studies showing how obesity can actually run high in homeless children due to inadequate food choices. Also in the unaccompanied youth, they are more likely to uh, attract a sexual transmitted disease or become pregnant, probably due to lack of uh easy information and just communications with an adult that is able to help them in that situation. Another one is mental health and exposure to violence. And I'm going to take a direct quote from Yumiko's article or her publication. While homeless, children and youth are more likely to witness or experience violence prior to homeless episodes, they are also exposed to violence due to the public nature of their lives and vulnerable living conditions associated with poverty, such as being on the streets and shelters, doubling up with others, or in crowded housing. The other one is education. This one, to me, makes a lot of sense, too, because a child might not be receiving the proper education that they need to at the time. It's higher for them to change schools, miss school, and oftentimes their abilities and the subjects are lower than children who are not homeless. And the last one, which I'm going to talk about, goes more into the unaccompanied youth, is juvenile delinquency. The youth is doing what they can to survive. They are more likely to be arrested for ways of getting inf like important items. So like money in exchange, like if they need money, they will help deal drugs, shoplifting for items they need, burglary for the same reason, and more. Now let's jump into the numbers, which 
I don't know why I hate numbers. I hate math. That's my sister's thing. But I really enjoyed researching how the numbers have changed over the years because now instead of following 2009, we're going to be looking at numbers kind of roughly between like 2010 to 2016. And I'm also talking about children under the age of 18. So instead of separating the two, it's just children under the age of 18. They actually have children under the age of nine and then children under the age of 18. So it separates how children under the age of nine are one statistic and then they're kind of pushed into the children under 18. So you can kind of do the math to see where the majority is and children under the age of nine, I'm gonna give some numbers, are pretty much half of the population that are in lower income families. This information was posted in 2018 by Heather Cobalt and Yang Jiang. And from what I understand, this information is gathered f until 2016. So it's a window from kind of from 2010 to 2016. That is what I'm going to talk about in regards to year. So it's way more recent than 2009. To break this down for you, hang in there. I'm going to do my best to explain this. There are 72.4 million children under the age of 18. And among that, 41% is low income. That's crazy. So when we're looking at 41% as 100%, so we're looking at a graph of just low income, 59% was at the top part of the low income, 22% was near poor, and 19% was poor. So again, this percentage did go down from 2010 to 2016, where it was 45% and ended up being 41%, but there was actually a spike in there uh, and it went up to 46%, but now 2016 went down to 41%. When we look at this different graph among race and ethnicity, 51% is white, 13% is black, 25% is Hispanic, 5% is Asian, 1% is American Indian, and 6% fell under other. So the last thing I want to talk about is where in the United States these numbers are coming from. So West region is starting at New Mexico and then if you're looking at if you're looking at the states, New Mexico to the left and then up to Montana. So basically the states going straight up also includes Hawaii and Alaska. They have 7.2 million children who are in the low income area and under that 7.2 million, 3.7 million is under the age of nine. So the Midwest region, we're going above Oklahoma at Kansas to North Dakota up and then over to Ohio, kind of like di diagonal across the states, covers 12 states, 5.8 million are in the lower income area and then under the age of nine, 3.1 million. The South region, so Texas, Oklahoma, all the way up to Delaware, and it stops right before Pennsylvania. This covers 16 states, so 12.5 million are in the lower income area of children, and then under the age of nine, 6.5 million fall in that area. Northeast region, so Pennsylvania, all the way up the rest of the way, covers nine states. 4.1 million is in the lower income and then under the age of nine is 2.1. So if we're looking at each of those numbers with under the age of nine, they cover over half of 
the children who are living in a lower income area. Just to touch base on a few ways we can help with this issue, um, donating toys, money, supplies. I've heard, and this is just completely what I've heard, is that they homeless shelters appreciate like socks and blankets because a lot of people don't think about that when donating items. And it is a great way for children to keep warm and adults keep warm in harsher climates. Um, Another way is to have a diaper drive or have any sort of drive to get these items that people need and to raise awareness of the issue of lower income children or families with children. Extracurricular activities, I think about if I were a teacher or what I could be doing right now, especially in the state of the world, how can I help people, like how can I help families still be involved and still have the community of getting children out. They You can social distance. I know you can only have so many people in a group right now, but still social distancing among that. So let's go get a whole bunch of hop stop, hopscotch things going and have them separate and see who wins, you know, just little things like that. Uh, volunteer, that is huge. That is something that I'm going to look into in our area. Montgomery's not too far from us. Birmingham is not too far from us. So how can I get involved in those bigger cities plus Dothan, which is like 30 minutes from us, or even Enterprise, which is the town that I live closest to, advocating. I think that this is kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm advocating for the people who might not have a voice and parents who might be struggling and don't have the means to ask or are too scared to ask, i advocating now for them because I want children to grow up strong in this world, I guess. And becoming more knowledgeable is the last one I have written down. And I think that that is what I did today. And that is what I'm hoping I am doing for everyone else. And... Yeah, so if you have any other ways, I would love to maybe on my website, which yes, I have a website now, share some, almost like a blog area on the website to share all of the different organizations we can reach out to, maybe more on the United States level instead of just a state level or a city level. That way, it's an easy access for everyone to go and see where they can donate or how they can help. And Yeah, so if you ever do anything to help the homeless population or the lower income population, please feel free to tag me or message me because I want to know all about it. And yeah, I just just want the world to be more knowledgeable in the things that we are not knowledgeable in. So thank you everyone for tuning in to Wasting Time with Wine. I appreciate you for wasting time with me. I am on... Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I have an email, wastingtimewithwine at gmail.com. I think my Twitter handle is WTWWpodcast, so Wasting Time with Wine Podcast. And then my, my Instagram is the same handle, and then I also have my wastingtimewithwine at gmail.com, which I think I already mentioned, and then I also have the Facebook group, Wasting Time with Wine. Sorry, speaking really fast because I know I've already said goodbye. But thank you for wasting some time with me and I will see you next time. Thanks guys.